0: Welcome to the Darkened Doorway podcast, your doorway to everything dark, crimey and weird. On the 28th of April 1996, 35 people devastatingly lost their lives at the hands of one man and Australia responded with sweeping gun reforms. Hi Darklings, today we're talking about Martin Bryant and the Port Arthur Massacre and I'm also going to be issuing a big trigger warning on this one. We'll be talking about suicide, animal abuse and mass murder. So this is one that's been in my brain for a while now and I'm very ready to have it out. Yeah, yeah, this
1: is this is a this is a significant one for Australian history as well. And I hear that you've been deep diving into Martin Bryant's past as well. So Mm. I haven't been allowed to look into this one too much because, um, yeah, you've told me not to. Yeah, I've been guarding it like Gollum with the ring. Yes, you have (laughs) been guarding it, absolutely. So I've been to Port Arthur and I've seen the memorial Mm. and, like, just felt the... You know just what it feels like there to be there and to think about what happened in that site. Yeah. Apart from the horrendous history that's been there, because it was where the worst mm-hmm. of the worst criminals were actually sent in the early early days of Australia's um, white history, anyway. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's incredible. The memorial is um, just a big pool of like a reflection pool, and it's got some of the story there and and that sort of thing. But, yeah,
0: it's and it's such a huge site too. Yeah, so I'm going to be doing it a Mm -hmm. little bit differently. I'm going to be talking a little bit about the lead-up to the massacre and then I will cover the massacre. But, honestly, it's quite hard to listen to, let alone talk about. So we won't go into crazy detail about it. But there is, you know, a Mm. lot of interesting things there. In my research, I found that I didn't actually know about this guy. And this guy was pretty well known, at least to our kind of generation. I have found, though, that the the new generation actually doesn't know who he is, which is great because he thrives on that recognition. And and normally I would say that is awesome. Forget his name because he doesn't deserve it to be spread into history. Mm. But that being said, if we don't talk about things like this, then people don't learn from it. And I think it's really important to kind of remember this stuff that happens and remember the victims. Yeah. yeah. But before we get into that, do we have any news that we want uh, to share? Yeah. So um, I was talking about
1: Dr. Goebel and Mrs. Chandler to my dad, actually. And uh, it was something I just wanted to check in oh. with him because I had just through my research, I'd worked out that it was something that would have been during him his uh, childhood and and growing up as a... As a young man, and I asked him about whether he remembered anything about Dash Hounds in socks and that sort of thing. And he did. Oh, wow. And, but the interesting thing is that he hadn't actually, like, it had been this huge mystery for, you know, more than 40 years. And he didn't know that it had actually been almost Mm. solved. So, I uh, went through the history and and went through all of the different scientific findings to let him know and then yeah it was it was fascinating that it was such a big story huge huge so and because it was covered by all of the newspapers it was on the radio and every year it had come back up and and that sort of thing and it was such a scandal and he remembers the uh the talk of spies and assassins and ray guns and that sort of thing so he remembers all of that and you know that they were uh that there was science involved and scientists and all the rest of it and murder and poison Mm. and you know like all of that sort of stuff and the scandal but yeah but had never realized that there was a solution
0: yeah it's funny how the generations Mm. we forget The next generation has no idea about these things because back in 1996 when the Port Arthur Massacre happened, like, that was huge news. Everyone in Australia and and a lot of the world knew about this guy. But when I go and speak to someone who's a teenager or in their early 20s, I'll go, do you know who Martin Bryant is? (sighs) And they're like, no. I'm like, wow. Mind you, they also refer to Kurt Cobain as vintage.
1: Which I find Mm, offensive. That is quite offensive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) let's get into this one. Mm. All right, buckle in, people. It's going to be bumpy. (laughs) Okay, let's do this. So Martin Bryant was born on the 7th of May 1967 in Hobart, Tasmania, and he weighed in at around six pounds, which is about 2.7 kilos. He was the firstborn to Maurice and Carlene Bryan and would be an older brother to Sister Lindy. So, Martin actually pretty much straight away had some developmental delays. Up until about 16 months of age, he'd been considered normal, but by 16 months, it soon became apparent that he had some developmental delays. He had not been meeting the developmental milestones of other children around his age. In fact, he wasn't even walking. Um, and apparently it's normal for children to start walking between 10 and 16 months but you'd be able to kind of tell me more on that one. That'd be about right. Some of mine tried to uh,
1: yeah. you know be like special and start walking at nine months. That's a nightmare. You don't Great. want them to do that because they don't get yeah. the whole don't don't do that. Don't walk that way. Don't grab that. Don't run on the road. You know that sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah
0: don't get them don't walking. lick the oven while it's on.
1: Um, is that something you but, did? Mm-mm. Sorry, continue. N-
0: no, <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, by 16 months, it he still wasn't even getting close to walking, right. so he wasn't hitting any of the like the developmental milestones that other children his age mm-hmm. were. And his mother said that she thought about it and she remembers as a baby he didn't even want to be cuddled and he actually rejected most physical contact. Interesting. His mother, Carleen, was actually a really apathetic kind of person. So she didn't look into why this was or anything like that. She just kind of accepted it and moved on with life. In fact, she was actually so unfazed by Martin's behaviour that when he started to just wander off, which is the next thing he did once he discovered how to walk, she would actually get him and leash him to the front porch, (laughs) like with a harness and a lead. And she'd put some toys around him and then she'd just leave him there to his own devices wow. yeah I mean I guess we can say at least it wasn't a choker chain <gasps> um but yeah she tied him up like a dog wow that's that's crazy yeah and she actually justified it by saying that it actually was okay because he had plenty of toys around him like
1: I get I, like you yeah. know yes I have put a leash like a hand leash on my kids when we were at the Easter <laughs> show or something like that but I've never tied them to something my goodness thought about
0: no i mean yeah and look I, we we <laughs> we've done that to my nephew we were walking through a david jones um and there was glass everywhere and he was in that grab mm-hmm. everything phase of being a toddler and we actually did put a monkey leash on him um so if he ever listens to this yes you did look ridiculous it was adorable <laughs> all the cool kids have them <laughs> that's it <laughs> So it was pretty safe to say, and in fact, Carleen actually said it herself, that she had difficulty bonding with him from a really right. young age. And she actually said later in his life that she felt disappointed and frustrated with him because his, he was quite slow. He had very slow speech development and he would do really silly stuff. Like apparently he once swallowed a nail, like a mm-hmm. metal nail, for no reason and he also was really not physically affectionate to her to help with that bonding process not surprised though mm, he showed a lot of early signs of of autism yep um, but by the time he was three his mum and dad knew that Martin definitely was not at all like the other kids and this was really highlighted when they started him in primary school because he was suddenly in this environment where they could compare him to children his own age right? and he was so developmentally delayed that kids being kids they picked on him and he became isolated and was really rejected by a lot of the other kids so i actually felt really sorry for him when i heard this
1: i was about to say that i was about to say oh wow i know the horror end of it but now i'm like oh my goodness this poor guy
0: yeah, yeah. and i felt really sad for him as well But then I read a piece about him that was actually from people who knew him and grew up with him. Mm -hmm. And they said he was actually a pretty cruel kid to the other kids. So if he thought another child was vulnerable, he would like get really violent with them. And he was really prone to these violent outbursts. Yikes. And he was also a little bit of a prick to his sister. So she was younger than him, but Mm. she was smarter and she actually had a lot more social skills. So she had friends. Mm-hmm. So he would like pick on her relentlessly, apparently. So my my sympathy kind of started to fly out the window around that point. Was it more than Big Brother picking on kid uh, on little kids?
1: Like what sort of picking yeah.
0: did he do? Apparently he was physically aggressive. I don't think mentally was within his grasp, but he was apparently quite violent. Yeah, right. And my sympathy really flew out the window when there was also talk that he really liked to harm animals. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. So there was this one story that apparently his neighbour said they used to have these fruit trees and they used to put out so much fruit, it was more than they could eat. Yep. And um, these parrots would come and they would come and eat on the trees and have a great time and the neighbour used to comment about how much they enjoyed watching these parrots kind of fly in and have the time of their lives eating this fresh fruit. But then Martin came around and he used a air rifle and shot all of the parrots. Oh. Um, and after that, the parrots never returned. So they've literally, to this day, apparently never returned. Wow. So, yeah, he's just a bit of an ass that way. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, no one can excuse that. I don't care. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so the kids weren't apparently overtly mean, they just knew that something was off with him and they would avoid him according to like other sources. So one person said in an article from the Sydney Morning Herald that they felt really sorry for him and when they would play chases they would always let him go because they thought, "Oh no, he's he's special Martin. We'll just we'll just be nice to him." So he wasn't actually picked on that badly apparently. Right. They also said though that he didn't even know how to play with other children. Like he just didn't have those social skills. So he would basically just annoy them by doing silly stuff like jumping out and scaring them when they were walking home and and doing all this stupid stuff that it was actually quite dangerous and scary to these younger kids. So he was just super awkward. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Might be the, you know, the isolation of being tied with a with a leash to the porch. But, you know,
0: it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) but I don't know, I feel like (laughs) it's more than that with him, judging by what happens Mm -hmm. after. Yes, yes, yes. So anyway, as Martin moved into high school, he stopped seeking as much attention from his peers and he actually became way more reclusive, so started to really keep to himself. Mm. And this was a bit of a turning point for him because when he turned 14, for his birthday that year, Maurice, his dad, decided to give him an air rifle, which was the one he went later on to shoot those parrots right. with. Right.
1: Right. So you give the weird
0: kid a gun. hmm Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All Different right. time, I guess. Anyway, as you can imagine though, this was life-changing for Martin. Yeah. It showed him just the sheer power of having a firearm, and it resulted in a huge change in his behaviour. So instead of being this quiet recluse, he suddenly realised when he had that gun in his hands, he held the power. Oh, my God. Which is terrifying. Very much so. (laughs) So then he started to hang out in creek beds near his house and he used to shoot at animals all the time. Fantastic. So there was another – he really seemed to hate parrots as well (laughs) because there was this story that he shot a parrot with his air rifle once. And when it fell to the ground, he walked over to it and he shot it several more times in the head. Like so much overkill.
1: Wow. They're not big birds
0: either. Yeah. He was just such a little <laughs> asshole. Like, honestly, who does that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, wow. So this was really the time in his life that the little asshole he truly was began to emerge. Yep. He apparently used to go and untie moored boats just to be an ass. Yeah. That's asshole stuff, yep. Yeah, totally is. What a pain. Um, but guess what? He actually made a friend in school. Oh. Yeah. Who was his friend? Well, I'm wondering if he still thinks of him as a friend, but it'd be interesting to see what he thinks of him now. Mm-hmm. So he made friends with this kid in school called Greg. Um, and it doesn't seem like it was going to ever end up as a lifetime friendship, but that was actually on Martin, not on Greg. So Greg actually stopped being friends with him because after they met up one day after school, Mun, being a comedic slash like psychopath, genius that he was, he actually stabbed Greg in the head with the tip of a spear gun. Because that's not terrifying.
1: Okay. I was waiting for you to say a pencil or something like a stick or (laughs) a a spear gun.
0: Yeah, a spear Uh gun. Because you just, you know, casually stab him. Did that need... Hospital, I would say it needs some hospital
1: something. attention, or yeah, yeah they didn't wow. say,
0: but um, yeah, I would say it definitely would need some kind Band-aid. of care.
1: Wow, okay,
0: yeah. So, it unsurprisingly wasn't long after this that Martin's high school experience completely ended. Mm-hmm. And on the 6th of May, which was a Friday, I'm pretty sure in 1983, he formally pulled out of school. So, his parents had kind of figured out that he may need a bit of psychiatric help. So they actually took him to a psychiatrist and that psychiatrist was Dr. Eric Cunningham Dax, who was, it seems, kind of a kind of the head person in the mental health world of Tasmania. Right. And he said after his evaluation of Martin that he would be unemployable because of his ability to upset and annoy people to <laughs> such an extent that he would find himself constantly in trouble.
1: Wow. <laughs> That's a big call. How old was Martin at this point? Well, he'd just left
0: school. So I'd say he would have had to so be like 16. Year or... Yeah, year 10. Yeah, wow. Um, and he was actually immediately put on a disability pension because of this. Wow. Yeah. So Dr Drax also made another assessment of Martin and actually wrote a pretty grim note about him. So Dr Drax said, cannot read or write, does a bit of gardening and watches TV only his parents' efforts that prevent further deterioration could be schizophrenic and parents face a bleak future with him. Wow.
1: That's intense for yeah. a psychologist to make that call. Yeah, it is. Of such a young, like a teenage kid. Mm.
0: Wow. Exactly. And I don't even know if it actually would be appropriate at this point, like in this point Mm-mm. of time now, for a doctor to be able to say that about a child still in a developmental yeah, stage. yeah. I don't know if they still do it, so that's, wow. that's interesting. <laughs> that's intense. Isn't it just? So after this, Martin went on a disability pension and was monitored by his dad, and his dad was basically there his whole life doing this. And not yeah. a lot actually happened in his life for like a red-hot minute. But then in 1987, while Martin was wandering around the streets, which apparently was a habit he had in the afternoons, he noticed a house with really heavily overgrown gardens in it. And this was like a lovely house. So he literally walks up and he knocks Mm -hmm. on the door and he asks for work from the person who answered and he actually got a job out of it. So they employed him to do odd jobs on a property called Wabruna, which was owned and occupied by the Tattersall Gambling Empire, Harris, Helen Harvey, and her elderly mother, Hilza. So for people who may not know it, Tattersall is kind of like our huge gambling um thing in australia very posh clubs too yeah very much and Mm -hmm. they're worth so much money it's ridiculous right so i'll just tell you a little bit about helen so helen actually was seen as kind of a local eccentric person she was overweight she had missing teeth and she had this really specific like smell about her some people described it as body odor (laughs) her clothing was really aged and it wasn't even washed she liked to chat to people and and would say that you know she's in contact with Hollywood stars like Errol Flynn and Rock Hudson but yeah they (laughs) never were seen going to her house so that's unproven (laughs) yeah so I, I do have an, a theory about the, the body odour that she had, oh, yeah. um, but I'll tell you about do that we, later. Do
1: we, need, do, do, do we need to know? We need to know. know.
0: Okay. All right. Yes.
1: All right. As we long do. As... Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so Helen and Martin actually became really good friends um, because they were both misfits in society, um, even though there was a huge age difference there. How old did you say Helen was? She was 54 years old. And he was 18 at this point. Right. So, yeah, big age gap. Just a little? Just a smidge. And the other thing is, don't forget, mm-hmm. Martin Bryant was actually really good looking when he was younger. Don't worry, that's definitely changed. Um, <laughs> but he was he was like a tall blonde, blue eyes, had a pleasant facial structure. <laughs> like, he was not a bad looking kid. Pleasant facial structure. So, like strong Look, that's jaw. That's as nice as I can get. Yeah, right like
1: just he was pleasant like he wasn't he looked like a, you you know, a, a beachy kind of guy like you know that he spent a lot yeah. of time well he was a very white beachy kind of guy but he looked like a surfer guy he
0: was like the discount choice version of daniel johns okay. or kirk Bain. Okay,
1: yeah <laughs> i can see that i can see that <laughs> yeah
0: mm-hmm. like the reject shop version
1: okay yeah. right yeah
0: um <laughs> which for any listeners overseas is like walmart anyway <laughs> So Helen and her mother Mm -hmm. were pretty much recluses at this point in their life. They lived in this huge white Art Deco house. Apparently also they had a huge number of cats, dogs and even pigs running around. So to me it smells like a really big hoarder situation and that's probably a big part of what people were saying. They could smell on her when she was around them. Oh, that smell is, yeah. Yeah, as Ellie and I both know, um, having worked with hoarders quite a bit in our past professional mm-hmm. lives, um, there is a particular smell. And it's, I, yeah,
1: you never forget it. You can you smell it just like if, uh, and it's a kind of a mix of cat urine and poop on the carpet. And, and mould. All sorts of things and mm. mould, yeah. And just a yeah. dirt
0: smell. And and it gets mm. to the point that you can be in a shopping center and you, you will smell yeah. someone who lives in those conditions come past and you'll be like, I know them. I know yeah. these people. I can smell it <laughs> so bad. <laughs> so bad. you wow. do know pretty much exactly yeah, no. what it smells we like. We did
1: need to know what the smell's from. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but
1: add pigs to it. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess they weren't house-trained mm. though, because apparently there was filth Mm-mm-mm. everywhere. So they actually left the downstairs area of that beautiful house to the animals and only occupied the top level of the house, which is where their two bedrooms were. Right. And it was later said that Martin told his psychiatrist that Helen was actually his only true friend. He indicated it was not a sexual relationship at all. Okay. Their friendship did have a lot of negative connotations though, because you've got two people who are quite unsettled in their lives and also don't really have the cognitive ability to make good choices Mm. sometimes, at least in my opinion. Right. So first up, Helen's mother, Mm Hilza ended up being left alone really regularly in the house once they became friends and it steadily became unlivable. And she ended up being moved downstairs into the kitchen at some point where she was forced to sleep sitting upright in a chair. And she basically would just sit in that chair and try and move herself around to try and get relief from the pain she was in. Oh. Because it turns out she actually had an untreated broken hip. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So this elderly woman was left in this chair surrounded by filth and it was for two years.
1: Oh, my gosh. With the pigs and the cats and the dogs and, oh, my goodness. And the broken
0: hip. Yeah. yeah,
1: and unable to probably get up and go to the toilet herself. She, Imagine yeah, she the bed get up. sores.
0: Mm. That's crazy. She wouldn't have been able to get up. She had a completely broken broken hip. Wow. So in June 1990, someone thankfully reported Helen and Helza living in the conditions that they were to the local authorities and both women were immediately transported to hospital. Yeah, right. By this point, they were desperately in need of health care for things like infected leg ulcers, mm. um, other infections on their bodies, as well as the fact they were living in absolute squatter. And, of course, for that hip. And it's not like they only had the animals just like running around them in a neat house. There was fecal matter all over the floor and walls. There were filthy dishes. There was mold that was growing so high it was coming out of the oven. Wow. Yeah. Oh, the smell. I can smell it. I'm trying to block that from my mind.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't open that door.
0: So Hilza was actually in a really bad way. She had been sitting in that chair in the kitchen with her broken hip and she was just so not okay. She was actually in hospital for several weeks and then she actually discharged to a nursing home. And remember, mm-hmm. they went in there in June and by July, she was dead. Wow. So there was no recovery for her. She was that far gone.
1: Yeah, fractured
0: hips are often that. Yeah,
1: pretty goodness. much.
0: And because I know a lot of us are also really worried about the animals, the RSPCA actually were able to step in and they removed the animals and gave them medical care, rehoming, and basically everything that they needed. So they were Thank okay. You. That's important. <laughs> it's important to me, so I figure it'll be important to our listeners. I know. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> yeah. So the powers that be placed an order on the house that it couldn't be returned to until the squalor had been cleaned up, which is actually something you see a lot with hoarders. And it was actually Martin's dad Maurice Bryant who stepped in to arrange it all to be fixed and cleaned. Hmm. So he was actually a pretty empathetic kind of person and and seemed like a real helper. Yeah. Now this was no easy task. There were a dozen skip bins of crap that got taken away. And heaps of filth, like animal feces and the general rubbish, had to be scraped from the walls and floor. Mm-hmm. They even threw away all of Helen's clothes because they were in such a disgusting state. And I'm guessing the smell would have permeated everything in that yeah. household. So I yeah. imagine all the soft furnishings would have had to be thrown out immediately. And I don't know, burned. the ammonia oh. that just builds up and builds up. Mm. It smells so bad. Yeah. It was so, mm, that smell. I've I've had to wear a respirator into a hoarder's house before because it gets that bad. So it must have been at that point to get an order on the house like that, it would have had to have been dangerous. Yeah. So once the house was cleaned, Helen was actually able to move back into her home with her brand new roommate, Martin. Oh, I see. Yeah. So Martin and Helen would then go and spend days after this just wandering around town looking at ways to spend money because don't forget all that Tattersall money was still coming in. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. And what they would spend money on is they would buy numerous cars. They actually bought 50 in total and collect like random things. 50 cars. Wow. (laughs) And collect random things and they'd just go to lunch and and do stuff like that it sounds fabulous it kind of does doesn't it which seems a little unfair considering everything that happens afterwards but anyway Mm. now they wouldn't actually hold on to the cars for very long i guess they lost interest because sometimes they would keep them for as little as a few days wow so the money was coming in but they were burning through it like nothing else this went on for years, and despite this companionship that they had, Martin started to show signs that he was changing. He started to have really big mood swings and some really dark moods. And before, although he was intellectually a bit simple and socially awkward, he was now becoming really aggressive, and instead of his usual kind of immature pranks that were weird but relatively harmless, he was actually now threatening people and showing a really dark side to his personality. Uh-oh. Yeah. So despite all of this, though, Martin's family and Helen didn't raise any alarms. And Martin was actually only reassessed as part of his requirements to keep his disability pension that he was still on with his 50 cars. Anyway, that's another, another conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this was like a screaming alarm bell when this assessment was done. And the assessor actually stated, Father protects him from any occasion which might upset him as he continually threatens violence. Martin tells me he would like to go around shooting people. It will be unsafe to allow Martin out of his parents' control. Does he have a
1: gun license at this point?
0: Like he's got the air
1: rifle. No, and I
0: don't think he ever had one because it wasn't a thing back then. Okay. So despite this really alarming assessment, they literally just stapled it to his file and put it away and nothing else happened. Nothing. Nada. But but he
1: said in an assessment that he would like to go around shooting people. He he said that out loud. He did. Okay.
0: And the assessor said it would be unsafe to let this now grown man out of his parents' control. Right. Yeah. But he was living independently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maurice, Martin's dad, however, was a bit alarmed by this. He kind of already knew Martin was getting out of control and he could see the darkness in him. And he actually acted as a restraint for him. So he knew that Martin wouldn't be well if he passed away, which let's face it, that's kind of the way it goes. Your parents pass away normally before the children. So it was a justified thing. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, he actually set out a will to the public trustee in 1991. And he stated that the house would go to his wife, Colleen. But if she'd passed, it would be equally divided between Martin and his sister. Mm -hmm but because Martin would need extra financial support throughout his life because he's apparently too annoying to work. Um, I still can't believe that a psychologist said that. Um, It's crazy. Such a weird reason to get a disability, you're too annoying. Oh, okay. Because he'd need that extra financial support, he bequeathed him his entire superannuation fund, which was about $250,000 in it. Right. So at some point, I think she must have had a conversation with Helen Harvey about this. Because she also decided around this time to make her will and she named Martin the benefactor of her entire fortune. Wow. And in the will, yeah, good friend, I guess. Wow. In the will, she actually said to my friend Martin Bryant for his own absolute use and benefit several times, giving him properties, livestock, all her assets and animals. Yeah. So. Basically, if his dad and Helen passed away, he would be an instant multi-millionaire. With, with homicidal tendencies, yeah. at wanting to it's shoot It's so people. weird to think that. Mm. So, and so far, just an air rifle. Anyway, yeah. so Martin and Helen actually had moved property at this point. They were in Coping, Tasmania, which is kind of near Hobart. They found this 29 hectare property and they actually started to hoard animals again because, you know, for funsies. Mm. Martin really started to go off the rails now. I know it sounds like he kind of already has, but we're really starting to now. His behaviour was getting extremely unpredictable. He would swing between like a childlike person and then an aggressor. And it got to the point where the neighbours would actually avoid him like the plague. So apparently at one point they would see him shooting his air rifle at people who stopped to buy apples from a little stall. Wow. Like if that's not foreshadowing. Shooting people already. He was shooting Mm -hmm. at them. Like tourists would stop at this tiny little stall on the side of the road to buy apples and he would just literally shoot at them with the air rifle. Not okay. Did the
1: police get involved at any point? Were there any complaints? Or I guess they're tourists, aren't they? So they don't know where to complain. They're tourists
0: wow yeah and i think the neighbors didn't want to engage with him because you don't want to attract the attention of the crazy that lives next door to you no so it was around this time that martin started to change the way he dressed (laughs) so this one's a bit interesting he used to go around in these white overalls and a red cardigan. that was kind of like his signature white overalls
1: and a red cardigan
0: yeah that was kind of his thing okay but now He started to dress like some kind of old school gentleman. He would wear cravats and like, you know, the puffy shirts and stuff like that. Wow. Um, Which was super weird. Yeah. He also started running around people's properties at night and firing his air rifle around generally just being creepy and staring at people and hiding in the shadows. Hmm. To the point where people were commenting about how they knew there was someone watching them. They had that skin. And, you know,
1: air pellet in their bone sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah. One or two in the walls, you know, nothing to worry Mm -hmm.
1: about anyway.
0: Mm -hmm. Ah, Rural living, isn't it wonderful? (laughs) Isn't it great? (laughs) (laughs) So other than these changes, Helen and Martin pretty much had fallen back into the old way they were. They'd spend their days lounging around, going to lunch and spending money. Um, But their latest trick was leaving their, whatever most recent car they had, Parked and full of animals. Yeah. What? Just leaving them in the car while they went and did their shopping, which is such a favourite thing of mine. But the Uh kicker about this was the car wasn't just full of dogs as you might think it would be. It literally would have cats, dogs, even mini ponies. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it wasn't much wonder that the locals kind of thought these guys were a bit odd and that's saying it nicely.
1: Like, mm, okay.
0: So Mini wow.
1: ponies, cats, dogs. <laughs> Look at your face. They probably had the pigs in there too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her, Ellie's eyebrows are like up at the ceiling right now. Yeah. Great. And they're kind of moving
1: around <laughs> like caterpillars. Yeah. Mm.
0: So the other weird thing that Martin stated was he liked to play this super fun game while Helen was driving. So what he would do is if they were driving, he would be on the passenger side because he didn't have a licence and he would um, randomly reach over and grab the steering wheel and just wrench it violently to one side. Right. That, yeah. that
1: sounds like, Yeah fun car to be in yeah yeah so he
0: almost caused serious accidents several times and helen would actually have to try and wrestle back control of the steering wheel because he wouldn't release it he'd just like be happy for them to crash (laughs) and because of this she started to make sure that she never drove over 60 k's an hour when he was in the car because it was just too dangerous wow so she did actually veer off the road twice while he was doing this (laughs) she hit an embankment and a drain when he was doing it. So he wasn't really playing. It's kind of thought he didn't understand how dangerous this was or really grasp the potential consequences of it. But this unfortunately kind of changed not too long after. So it's actually recorded by police that an incident occurred on the 20th of October in 1992. With the two of them and three dogs in the back of the car, Mm -hmm. they went um, on a shopping trip into town just like they usually do. And at about 5 p.m. they decided, okay, time to head back. For some reason, and it's suggested that Martin did his old trick and grabbed the wheel, they crossed double light, double white lines and hit a Ford head on.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: So Martin got two serious fractures to his spine that day. Unfortunately, the dogs also were not lucky this time. One was found dead on the verge of the road. The other was dead in the back of the car. And the third one actually did manage to escape with its life and was found wow. two days later. But Helen actually died.
1: Oh, wow. That's pretty, yeah. like, fractured spine and wow.
0: Yeah, so when the police attended, she was already dead. She was slumped behind the wheel with her neck snapped. That's a big hit. Yeah, she was gone.
1: Did he know that he was in the will at this point?
0: Well, that's a curious question. He would have question. had to, surely. There was no nothing to indicate he knew. Um, but I'm sure she would have told him. There was nothing written saying mm. did, but I feel like they were very close friends and she probably told him. That's just yeah, my, right. my guess. But I don't think that he's... Mm mature enough to really put you know the idea of i'm going to murder her for her money money never really seemed to be the motivator for him
1: well it was never an issue for him i can't imagine like she would have just been giving giving
0: giving that's it and he is also intellectually challenged um some people have said that he has the intelligence of an 11 year old so right yeah kind of really messed
1: up asshole 11 year old money grows on trees for 11 year olds they don't care where it comes from that's
0: it so now Martin found himself alone again and once again friendless. So he had to move home to his parents because he had to heal from those spinal fractures. Um, and this is when he got a little creepier.
1: A little creepier. hmm Just a little.
0: Okay. <laughs> I may be underselling it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> he then tried to replace his lost friend by approaching children in the area. Oh, So he would go and try and join in with the kids' games and generally just annoy them and freak them out because these kids would start to avoid him. They apparently instinctively knew that there was something not quite right Mm -hmm. um, and he was quite scary to them. That's what one of his neighbours said in one of the reports. Run away. My goodness. Mm. And that gets way darker later. (laughs) Great. Buckle in. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. So since Martin moved back home and Helen's death, Martin Bryant's dad, Maurice, was really not feeling himself. He was really depressed and really anxious, and he actually went and sought out a doctor's help for this. This is at a time where men weren't really encouraged to talk about feelings, so it was really interesting that someone as stoic as as this guy would go and actually seek help. So it must have been pretty bad. Mm. The doctors actually put him on antidepressants at that time, so go Maurice for trying to seek help. But he was really worried that without someone watching over Martin, he would just spend all the money he inherited. So what he did, he actually took some action to make sure that this money that he just inherited was going to be safely looked after, and he contacted the courts to get Martin under the Mental Health Act so that they would provide him with an allowance and monitor his wealth and only give it out in increments so it would last a lifetime. So he was, you know, he was a pretty good dad. Mm -hmm. But this wasn't the only thing that Maurice was arranging. He also went and put his and his wife's bank accounts in only his wife's name, and he also signed over all the bills into her name as well. He didn't tell her about this. Wow. He was very worried, wasn't he? A few days later, on Friday, August the 13th in 1993, Maurice went to Copping, which is about 40 minutes from Hobart, Tasmania, for a break just to get away for the weekend. So his wife, Carlene, wasn't too worried about this and she wasn't really worried until he made a really strange phone call to her. So according to Carlene in a report, she said he was very quiet and withdrawn, which wasn't like him. And she said, over all the years when any of us would travel to Port Arthur, we would always telephone to say we had arrived safely. On Friday evening, Maurice telephoned and said very little other than I love you. At the time I was surprised as he had not said that before when calling and so I assumed he'd had a few drinks. Do you have that sinking feeling yet?
1: Yeah I do and um, normally you would have given me a, a very specific time like eleven fifty-two 52 a.m or something but um, <laughs> I've got the sinking feeling. Mm-hmm. So is coping near yeah. Port Arthur is it? Is that where?
0: I the, think it's near there it, as well. Be, yeah. Mm. yeah. So then Maurice made another call. He called his daughter in Queensland and told her that he loved her. Ah. He never called Martin. Interesting. So the next morning, a man came to the house because he was going there about some item that was for sale and he noticed a note on the door and the note said, call the police. Oh. So later that morning, the police came and started to search for Maurice. He wasn't in the house. It actually took them two days to find his body. He was found face down in the water of the dam, which was behind the house. He had Martin's diving belt around his chest, kind of like a Rambo style belt. So over his neck and around his chest. Yep. And a packet of his untaken anxiety meds in his pocket. Oh, God. So there there were 18 of the meds in the packet gone, but I don't know if he had them in his stomach or not um because there was no research or results for toxicology way to go maurice's body was actually found in the dam with a bunch of dead sheep so that's really weird because the sheep were actually drowned and so was maurice Mm -hmm. so that's really strange you think because (laughs) the sheep could have just got out i'm not sure why they would have drowned But it was determined that his death was an unnatural death which i'm guessing means suicide okay
1: i'm stuck on the sheep i'm thinking aliens but i'm Mm. moving on like that's
0: wow the police also thought that that was really strange that the Mm -hmm. sheep had all drowned in that in that dam wow so yeah so apparently martin didn't actually go to his father's funeral he was said to be too traumatised to attend, and I think with his mental capacity, probably was. Yeah, and this was really the moment that Martin lost the main restraint that he had in his life. Mm-hmm. Once his dad was gone, there wasn't anyone to try and steer him on the straight and narrow, and he'd once again inherited a large amount of money, and that was his the two hundred and fifty thousand super that Maurice got. Yeah. So this was when Martin's serious social and intellectual issues really started to come out he would go to the local cafe and he would dress weirdly like one time he wore an electric blue suit with a ruffle shirt um, another time a gray linen suit with a panama hat and lizard skin shoes and he would carry around a suitcase and tell staff that he was carrying it because he had a job which paid him four hundred dollars a week wow I've got like formal wear, you know, in my brain, you know,
1: back in the, back in the nineties. Yeah. Formal wear. Yeah, it was,
0: it was like, like weird formal wear. So I'm pretty sure this was actually his attempt to kind of reach out to people and impress them. Um, But it became pretty apparent that it wasn't working. In fact, the owner of the cafe is quoted as saying it was horrible. Everyone was laughing at him, even the customers. I really felt quite sorry for him. Mm. I realised this guy didn't have any friends. He was like a child trying to impress everyone. He struck me as a very eager sort of young guy, like a puppy Labrador, mm. always having something to say, always trying to impress. Oh, he must have been so lonely. Yeah, and it's hard to kind of not feel too sorry for him because you've got to remember there's some really messed up stuff going on in that brain there as well. Yeah, 100%. But I think like a lot of us out there can relate to that feeling of social isolation and being alone and how horrible it is. Mm. But apart from that scary fashion sense, though, he actually was doing a much scarier thing. He actually had started to stockpile guns and hide them around his house. <laughs> oh. So this is something I found really interesting. So around this time as well, Martin actually started to date. But- Okay. He actually had at least three girlfriends prior to the event of Port Arthur. Wow. Yeah, this was this blew my mind a little bit because this is something I'd never heard. When I started to put this wow. episode together, I kind of had no idea this was a thing. And it was said that he had, according to one of his ex-girlfriends, he had a fascination for violent and disturbing pornographic material and that he would show it to the local kids. Oh. Oh no! I told you it got weirder. <gasps> we know that a, Martin dated a lady called Janita Honai. I think that's how you say her surname. I'm not sure. Sorry if it's wrong. Um, now, he actually met her through the church they attended. Yeah, you heard me right. Through the church that Martin attended. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Mm hmm. Now, Martin looked like a catch because he dressed quite affluently. He had financial security. He looked like the knockoff Kurt Cobain. Leopard like skin shoes. Yeah. Or, no, they mm. weren't leopard. Li- they were lizard print. Um, oh, lizard. 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 They were lizard I don't even know print. what that looks like. Mm. <laughs> but she actually dumped him after deciding that he was simply too weird, which I think is a fair call. Fair call. When she heard what he did at Port Arthur, she mm. said that she wasn't surprised that he did it either. Oh people dob these people in i know i know right isn't it hard to hear that because it's like why didn't you say something but i guess who but do you... you can't blame her for it because who would have thought that but would who happen do you say it to like you
1: go oh by the way i think somebody might do something bad like she would have n- wouldn't have had any
0: clue so you know that was probably mm-hmm. hard especially back then mm. especially in the 90s it was not really a thing was it i mean no No one before this would have thought that this would ever happen in in a sleepy kind of place like Tasmania. The year before the massacre, Martin, who was 27 at the time, he started dating a 16-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. Now, in some articles, she's actually remained anonymous, um, in others not, but I think it's fair that we just not name her um, because I just don't think it's okay to name a girl who made a decision to date someone who went on to be a complete nutter um, when she was 16, I don't no. think she deserves to be attached to that. No. So we just won't define her by her dating mistakes, and we'll just leave her name out of this. But they were actually together for eight months, and she yeah. described him as very nice but dumb and strange. She said that he used to collect dolls and teddy bears. She had. She said he had two hundred of them, in fact and that his favorite film was Child's Play, especially the doll Chucky, he really liked that character. Oh. And he would use his money to impress her. So he actually took her on numerous interstate holidays. Um, like traveled everywhere. In fact, Martin actually did a lot of traveling. He went to Europe 6 times. Wow. New Zealand and Japan?
1: Imagine sitting next to him on a plane.
0: Oh, being don't so worry. annoying. We have a story about that. <sighs> So it wasn't really the countries he was interested in. What he really liked about this was the flights because he would literally have a captive audience for the duration of the (laughs) flight. They were literally tied into a chair and couldn't run away from him. Oh, no. So these poor passengers who got stuck next to Martin would have to sit there and listen to this guy talk at them for hours. And hours and hours. Yeah, and they would normally just sit there and pretend to be friendly. I would not do that. I would be asleep. Well, I might be too scared to be asleep beside him. He'd probably keep talking to you even if you were. (laughs) Lots of toilet breaks. Oh, my God. I just can't imagine. Like, that's my worst nightmare to be trapped sitting next to someone like that for like six hours on a flight six talk wouldn't it
1: be like how how long is it to europe from tasmania it'd be like i don't know 18 or something ridiculous
0: crazy now i'm googling it (laughs) like 24 hours (gasps) 24 hours and 18 minutes to be exact wow god can you imagine Wow. Having to talk to him for 24 hours and 18 minutes. And I guarantee they probably felt that entire (laughs) 18 minutes at the end there. 100%. So, yeah, later when he was interviewed about this, Martin would actually focus on the conversations he had with these other travellers that he deemed to be, like, successful social interactions. (laughs)
1: Like,
0: that was the thing he took away from his trips. Right. Not the sights, not the culture the person he had trapped for 24 hours and 18 minutes. He didn't have the window seat either, did he? He had the
1: the edge seat so no one could get
0: out. (laughs) You can never (laughs) leave. Ever. (laughs) You got to laugh or you cry, Mm -hmm. huh? Anyway, Martin's girlfriend said he was not very smart but would try to pretend that he was. And there was one point she actually said that they went to a cafe and he pretended to read the Sydney Morning Herald. But she knew that he couldn't understand it. He couldn't read. Right. So she just kind of would indulge him with it to make him feel better. So she seems like she was quite sweet. He apparently was so taken with this girl that he even asked her to marry him. And she said of him in an article that he had long blonde hair, blue eyes, he had huge muscles and he was rich. I did like him a lot. Right. Because she's 16 and she's a child, and that's her probably the first experience she's had of being a boyfriend. And yeah, easy to impress. Yeah. Yeah. She also added, though, that he had weird sexual appetites, saying that he used to shave his chest to look more like a woman and brought back videos from Scandinavia featuring bizarre animal sex acts and bestiality. So yeah, there was that. Oh, okay. Okay, so (laughs) mm, he must have been
1: able to function to a degree to be able to travel
0: the world and buy tapes like that. Oh, mm, okay. I guess the question is what did he actually do when he got to his destination? Did he just get on a plane and come back?
1: Well, he went to a shop to buy some terrible
0: pornography. Well, that's true, but maybe that was in the airport. I'm not here to judge. (laughs) I don't know oh my goodness wow okay all right moving on I can't say I've ever bought Mm -mm. Scandinavian porn so I don't know where you would purchase that um maybe people I guess this was no please don't put it in the comments (laughs) no please don't um and I guess this was at a time before you know Pornhub and stuff like that So life was hard and you had to go overseas to get it. What are you
1: talking about?
0: I'm not sure. It was something that I heard about through the interwebs. (laughs) Interwebs. I've never looked. (laughs) Neither have you, have you, Ellie? I don't know what you're talking about. No, no. Mm -mm. But there was this Avenue Q song called The Internet is for Porn, which I found really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So... Well, that's If I ever come back to town, Mm -hmm. um, Avenue Q, please come back to to Sydney. Um, I would really like to take Ellie to see that. I think she'd really enjoy it. (laughs) Anywho, back to the more serious things. (laughs) At the time of the massacre, he was actually dating a horticulture student called Petra Wilmot. And she was only 20 at the time. And they'd actually only been dating for a few weeks. Like, can you imagine this being your new boyfriend? So... Wow, Petra actually went with him to buy the bag that he used to carry his guns to the massacre, but she was completely unaware of the plans and she had absolutely nothing to do with them. And she was actually the last person wow. to speak to Martin before he went to Port Arthur that that horrible day. Yeah, they must feel so icky knowing what they know now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So here comes the big part. Yeah, I'm. You know how Are you, you asked to skip other
1: episodes. Yeah, no, I am I would really like to skip this bit because, you know, I, yeah. I remember the yucky stuff. I've been to Port Arthur. It's, oh, it's a hard yeah. place to be when you know this stuff. It is. Mm.
0: It is. But um, like you said to me, you got to stay here. So, I, hi. Right. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. All right. Let's do it. On the 28th of April in 1996, it was about 6 a.m. Martin Bryant got up. He showered with Miss Wilmont, had breakfast with her like a normal day. And then he went and packed his bag, got his surfboard, put his surfboard on his on the top of the roof racks of his car. And in that bag that he'd bought with Miss Wilmont three weeks prior, he put his guns, including a Colt AR-15 semi-automatic weapon. And he yeah, later told police that, that he paid $5,000 for that. And he got all his ammo, put it in his yellow Volvo, which, by the way, he still wasn't licensed to drive, so there's an offence just there, and drove to a bed and breakfast called the Seascape Inn. So the story with the Seascape Inn is Martin's dad and Martin himself had actually tried to buy this inn on numerous occasions. Martin apparently held a lot of hostility towards the people who actually owned it, oh. which was David and Nolene, who was known as Sally Martin. They bought it out from under them and and they refused to sell it to the the Bryants. Martin's dad took that really badly. He was apparently really despondent over it and Martin took that to heart. So when he got to the seascape in that morning, he went in and he shot and killed both David and Sally and then went and stole the guns from their property and they were the first victims of this (sighs) absolutely terrifying day. Oh, see, I didn't remember that at all. My goodness. It wasn't really a big thing that people talked about because it wasn't at Port Arthur, but he actually did it right before he went to Port Arthur. Wow. It's also where it ended, but we'll get to that. So Martin then drove to the Port Arthur site and he walked into the Broad Arrow Cafe. He went in with his duffel bag, he sat down and he ate a meal. And while he was eating that meal, he was trying to engage people in conversation, just people around him. Once he finished eating, he walked into the back of the cafe and he set up a video camera on one of the free tables. And I'd actually never heard about this part. No. Yeah. He then reached into the duffel bag, he pulled out his loaded Colt AR-15 and started (sighs) shooting staff and guests. He fired 17 times, he killed 12 people and wounded 10. He then walked into the other side of the cafe and he fired 12 more shots killing 18 more people and wounding two. He then reloaded his weapon. He put a fresh magazine in it and he left the cafe. He shot more victims in the car park as he went across to it to get back to his car. And when he did this, he killed four more people and injured six. So this was really fast. Wow. He was super efficient with it. And this is the part that really upsets me because I actually know the grandfather of these children. Um, and we found out about it at school when I was I was a baby at school still. Um, we found out that our, one of our lovely staff members had lost his daughter-in-law and grandkids. So Martin drove 300 metres down the road and he pulled up where a woman and her two young children were walking. She had her little girl in her arms and they'd actually gone there that day to enjoy a picnic. Martin aimed his gun at the mother and shot her and the child she was carrying, killing both of them. Her oldest daughter then ran and Martin chased her and killed her also. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's horrific. That was Alana and Madeline who were six and three at the time. So that was a hard one.
1: A six-year-old, he chased a six-year-old, yeah. yeah. apparently. I mean, all of it is yeah. hard, but the fact, oh, that... That's so intentional to chase a child. He chased
0: her after just killing her mother Mm. and sister in front of her. So this was really sad. And this Mm. lovely man just lost so many loved ones in such a stupid and senseless manner. And I can't imagine how terrible it was for the family. So anyway, we better keep going. (sighs) Let's just get through this, guys. (laughs) Martin then ditched the Volvo and he actually went and stole a golden BMW. And he stole it by shooting all four of the occupants in that car. He then drove down the road and pulled up next to a white Toyota where he pointed the gun through the window and he ordered the male passenger to climb into the boot of the BMW. He then shot the female driver through the windscreen of the car, killing her instantly. He then drove the hostage back to that seascape inn and by now the police were on to Martin and and had also started to travel to the inn. When they got there, they surrounded it and tried to negotiate with Martin because he still had that hostage inside, who in response fired shots at the police. This actually carried on until the next morning. So it was on the 29th of April that he set fire to the inn and he tried to flee. But the police thankfully were awesome and they caught him as he tried to leave and naturally he was immediately arrested. Once the fire was put out, the investigators discovered three bodies inside with Martin having also killed that poor man that he made get in the BMW. So in that single day, Martin Bryant had taken out 35 innocent lives. And ruined so many more. Yeah. So this was really shocking um, to every Australian and everyone in Australia, I think. And it required that immediate changes were made. Australia at the time had actually been talking about tightening up the gun laws already. But this massacre kind of brought it to the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, And in regard to the victims the outcomes as a result of this crime as well, like there were quite a lot of outcomes due to this. So first of all, it literally made the history books and it's not just because of the obvious, but it's also because it was the reason that four days after the killings, John Howard, who had actually been the serving prime minister at the time for only a bit over a month um, and would go on to be the second longest serving prime minister in Australian history, he actually introduced Australian wide gun laws Yeah. So this was like really ballsy to do. He put out a resulting gun amnesty. He made stringent laws introduced into the country. And while he was doing this, people, as you can imagine, are not really super happy at first. They wanted their yeah. guns because, you know, yay! Look at the fun gun
1: and the freedom. You know, all of that sort of all that stuff. You know, the uh, my my right to be armed and defend myself and all that sort of stuff. Mm, exactly.
0: So he actually went around wearing a bulletproof vest at first because he was under that much pressure. Oh, the prime minister! Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, mm. um, but at the end of the day, no one can really argue with the benefits of that because, to me everyone kind of owes him a huge thank you for what he did because I guarantee oh, you he has yeah. saved thousands of lives just by sticking to thousands his guns. Thousands and thousands. Literally. Yeah. See what I did there? No pun intended. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oops. It actually wasn't. It just slipped out. But anyway, <laughs> um, he really stuck to it and he was not backing down, which is something, unfortunately, we've seen other members of parliament do when they're trying to do the right thing and then they feel like, oh, no, Public pressures coming Too much after pressure. me, yeah. Mm. So the amount of impact this had, though, was that since the, that time, Australia has actually only had three mass shootings in thirty years. Wow! And to put that in perspective, in America, and I'm sorry, America, I am going to point you out for this one because you know you have a lot of gun crime stuff going on there.
1: Mm.
0: So as of the seventh of May, two thousand and twenty-three. In America, there had been 202 mass shootings.
1: Mass shootings. Not just shootings, mass shootings. What's a mass shooting? What's the difference?
0: So it's actually set by the same standard we have here in Australia to define it. So over four people being shot, excluding the shooter themselves. So it has to be almost five people to be a mass shooting. Okay. So... Those, that 202 mass shootings in America is not counting any of the other gun-related deaths. Yeah. So anything under four is not counted. Yeah, wow. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So we've had three in almost 30 years and they've had 202 this year. Wow. I actually heard a story the other week about a child in, in Ohio, I'm pretty sure who had been playing with his father's gun and he actually shot his mum, who was pregnant with his sibling and killed both of them. Oh my goodness. Like, it astounds me how this stuff happens.
1: Yeah. It's incredible, so, isn't it?
0: Mm. So our our very stringent gun laws are amazing. Yeah,
1: they really are. And the fact that school teachers in America have to have, you know, what are they going to do if a shooter, an active shooter is in the school? they've got wedges for doors and they turn the lights out and they pull the blinds down and they have you know bulletproof backpacks for the kids and or they have a safe room it's just like that's not something that we need to worry about in Australia it's just just
0: incredible no I would yeah I'd be terrified if I was a parent overseas like in the USA because and also, if they're going through all of these things, aren't the kids that are becoming the active shooters also then knowing all the things that they'll do as yeah, an active absolutely. shooter? Absolutely. Mm, my goodness. Mm. I saw. Um, I saw this thing that was created. I think it was by an, a, a gun laws kind of activist over in the USA, and it was like a back to school ad. And it started oh, out really lightly, you know, like oh, I really love my new shoes and stuff. Yeah. And by the end of it, you realize that um, it's actually about the children running away yeah, from an Yeah, It gives me enough grip to run it... away.
1: Yeah. I love my new phone because I can ring my parents. I can ring my parents to tell them. Yeah, yeah while she's
0: crying. And, oh. and then you hear the gun like being cocked. Mm-hmm. Like it was just really tremendous stuff. So good that good Very on that effective. person who made that. Yeah. That was really effective. <laughs> At least for yeah. us here. Yeah. Where we don't have them. <laughs> But yeah, let's hope we never do because what a fucking horrendous thing. So I kind of wanted to tell you a little bit more about um, what Martin's doing now. And then I want to end on a more positive note because this has been a really heavy kind of episode. So Mm. the last thing about Martin is that apparently he loves to hear about himself and has talked up his notoriety. So he's now been serving his his 35 life sentences plus one thousand three hundred and five years i thought you were gonna say in prison oh i thought you were gonna say 35 <laughs> year
1: prison sentence i'm like no. no no that's not enough so 35 year li-
0: um, life sentences okay plus what Yeah, 35 life sentences plus one thousand three hundred and five years <gasps> in prison Since the massacre Mm -hmm. and the Department of Corrections have been very good at ensuring that he does not get any extra attention that he could enjoy Mm -hmm. and any attention that is given, like say, for example, in this podcast, he will never find out about. The governor found a journalist taking photos of him once um, and he actually took the photos from the journalist and in front of Martin, he shredded them Nice. to know that he will never get the attention he desperately wants. Yep. But of course, journalists being journalists, one photo did actually get out. And Martin was then 53 years old, and he has changed a fair bit since his incarceration. He is now so heavily overweight that his stomach sits between his legs. I believe the medical term for that is a gock. Oh, what? Yuck. A gawk. I don't like that. And I will get you, dear listeners, to look that up <laughs> as to what it means. I'm going to refrain from explaining that here in case there are kids listening. Oh, hope they're not. Listening and to this that one. long blonde hair, <laughs> and that long blonde hair is definitely gone. He has now got dingy brown hair, and it's disgusting. Um, he was described as having a vacant stare and a dull smile. And I actually heard from a source that apparently he will do anything for chocolate bars. Anything. Oh. Anything at all. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Anything
1: in prison mm-hmm. is concerning. Quite concerning. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean he does have very limited access to other um other inmates. Because he's so he freaking annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, you know, he killed a lot of people and people are still upset about yeah, it. And, yeah, so that. he's basically had pretty much solitary his whole life oh, Wow. Um, since that time. Good. So now I want to end this on a positive note. So there is one other positive that has come out of this tragedy and it's actually come from one of the victims. So Walter Mikak, who lost his wife and two daughters, the ones I spoke about earlier in this tragedy, actually went out and set up a foundation called the Alana and Madeline Foundation and that aims to help children recover and deal with trauma. They are huge advocates for preventing online bullying and they are advocates for children's rights and to aid in the prevention of violence. I've actually heard about this. That's fantastic. Yeah. I didn't realise the link though. He actually went on to become a political activist against gun violence and violence of all kinds and a novelist. So the amount of good that that man has put out into the world after suffering such a horrible tragedy is just amazing. So it's nice to see that coming out of something like that. So that is the horrible story about Martin Bryant and the Port Arthur massacre. Anyway, Darklings, thank you for tuning in today. And don't forget to like the podcast and follow us, Plus, if you want to check out some photos of what we were talking about today, they're on our Facebook and TikTok at The Darkened Doorway Podcast. If you have been affected by anything that we've said today or triggered in any way, please reach out to your local uh, Beyond Blue or assistance line. Until next time, Darklings. Bye, bye, bye.